today on 2C Fans. I don't want to delve too deep into it, but, but the amount of plastic waste that ends up in the ocean is extreme. And then it breaks down into microplastics and it eventually comes back to us. Everything is connected. Another big one is, are you experiencing coughing or other kinds of respiratory irritation from the toxins in the air? Exactly. Right. Yes. You know all about irritation. I know about all, of all about irritating things, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of Two Sea Fans at Moat Marine Laboratory. I'm Haley Rutger. And I'm Joe Nicholson. And today on our show... We will have Dr. Tracy Fanera. Who is in charge of what, Haley? Environmental health. Do you know what that is? Uh, environmental health. Do you know what that is? Uh, I'm assuming it has something to do with the health of the environment. Well, I think that's safe, but it doesn't tell me anything. So I think we're going to have to have Dr. Tracy Panera tell us all about what it means, why we should care, and what it has to do with our lives day to day. Good idea. All right. Let's, Onward. Let's do it. So we are here with uh, Dr. Tracy Finera, and she is the manager of our environmental health program here at Moat. Hello, Hi, everyone. Tracy. Hi. How are Hi, you? Hi, Joan. Hi, Haley. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here. Yep. It's nice to have you here. So uh, for people who don't know, so you manage this program. What, what is environmental health? Environmental health is studying the anthropogenic or man-made effects on the environment in ecosystems as well as the effect the environment has on human health. Okay, I'm six years old. What did you just say? Uh, how environmental chemicals like harmful algae toxins or other kinds of like toxins. Like red tide? Right, for example, red okay. tide impact human health and how humans with all our urbanization, growth, um, use of pesticides and fertilizers, how that impacts wildlife in the ecosystem. So what people do? Yep, what people do. To the environment. Right, and how the environment fights back. Nice. Ooh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Joe always finds the battle. In the science. There is a battle here. <laughs> there is. But we also battle to coexist, at least so I hear, with our environment. Yes, of course. What are some of the, like, the biggest topics? You already started to say a few, but what do you think of people in your field, environmental, what do you even call environmental health scientists? Is there a name for them? Well, I'm an environmental engineer. Okay. However, the person before me had a PhD in education and she was a nurse. Mm -hmm. So there's so many different uh, angles that you could look at environmental health. Yeah. Hmm. So as an environmental engineer, what do you think are some of the big interesting topics in the field? I think pesticides, microplastics, wastewater chemicals such as hormones, uh, pharmaceuticals that get into our drinking water mm -hmm. sources and um, actually sometimes end up in drinking water, whether bottled or tapped. Well, when did you come on board here at Moat? Like, you haven't been here that long. No, so I became uh, part-time in March, and then I of graduated uh, of last year. Of last year. And then I graduated with my PhD in May and came in on full-time probably around June of last year. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And in that time, you were... Uh, some some would say lucky, some would say not lucky to uh, 
to have the experience of Red Tide being in town. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we got belted. We, since, since what, September, right? We've had some, at least, Red Tide along Florida. Oh, yeah. It's been going on since September, and now it's April. Yeah. That's insane. So, yeah, yeah, wait. Somebody say what Red Tide is. Who wants to volunteer? (laughs) Karenia Brevis. Yes, Joe. What's Karenia Brevis? (laughs) Formerly called? Gymnodinium Brev. Right? Wow. Yes, and then named after Karen. Karen Steidinger? Dinger. It It was in honor of her. It was changed to Karenia Brevis. That's amazing. I did not know that. But anyhow, yeah, Red Tide, known as Karenia Brevis now, is a uh, marine phytoplankton. Yep, phytoplankton. That uh, is toxic to marine and and terrestrial animals. Right. So a Red Tide bloom is when these organisms, Karenia Brevis, which they are around all the time. It's just that certain chemical conditions and, and weather patterns allow that that organism to bloom and multiply and grow um, to a point where it can be lethal to marine organisms because it uh, it contains a toxin called brevitoxin. So um, the way that it impacts our health is because these brevitoxins can be aerosolized, which means that they attach to sea salt particles in the air and can move onshore by wind. And they can move, we found, up to a mile. Uh, they might be able to move even farther. We're actually trying to um, propose a study to see exactly how far they can travel, who they impact, specifically like in real time. Um, so uh, we're developing a model so we can predict and see actual effects. Very cool. Yeah. So, like, for because because Joe is uh, six years old. I'm uh, not six. Yes, he is. I just had a birthday. <laughs> because he's six years old. What does it mean when we develop a model? Like, what what does a model do? What's it made of? And why do we need it? I was a model. Shh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, models in general, they uh, they imitate real life scenarios so that you can change different parameters about existing conditions to see how the results change based on the things that you, the parameters that you uh, modify. So like if we were modeling Karenia um, toxin getting in, inshore on the air, um, we would change something like the wind or... Right, wind direction, mm-hmm. wind speed, um, salinity. Yeah. Uh, temperature yeah we adjust all those things I mean it's modeling is what allows us to know things about global climate right and right so right I global climate uh, on a large scale and on a small scale I mean all my modeling experience has been with uh, hydrological um, systems like water distribution reuse wastewater um, floodplain scenarios uh, and land development hydrology in general and so absolutely nobody cares about that in florida (laughs) oh yeah none of that (laughs) no one cares about flooding it's uh, not a problem at all no no (laughs) i actually and you you study in gainesville is that right yes so did you do a lot of your work on florida questions or yeah a lot of my work it's general my dissertation was the topics were generally so you can use it wherever you are yeah. but my 
subject site was was Gainesville, Florida. Okay. It was with Gainesville or yeah, Gainesville Hydrology and Florida regulation mm-hmm. in cool. mind. Well, like going back to the the other thing that Floridians definitely care about, red tide. Um, I we have um, the wonderful tool that you work on, which is the beach conditions reporting system. Um, tell us about that because you've been doing some things to make this tool better for people to get more information on red tide and you're still working on some things to help people get updates really quick on what red tide is doing. Um, yes. What's, what's new? <laughs> okay, so the Beach Conditions Reporting System or BCRS. BCRS. Yes, BCRS. Yes, we like to use acronyms. Um, it actually was developed back in 2006 specifically to, uh, notify the public about red tide effects. Mm -hmm. Um, We went through a redevelopment just in November to make the site more user-friendly, mobile-friendly, and add parameters that anyone would want to know when they go to the beach, whether there's a red tide bloom or not. Mm. We have 27 reporting beaches and we're increasing that uh, in the near future. And uh, beaches report twice daily or should and that's that's our biggest struggle is um, making sure that the lifeguards. Okay, so it's the lifeguards that actually do the reporting back to you guys. And it, right. it's on, is it on a mobile app or something? Or yeah, yeah. So um, it's well, it's lifeguards and maintenance crew, whoever whoever is there. They're called beach sentinels. And they're either ca- county employees. Or, yes. Okay. Yeah. So they report on a mobile app. Um, that you can download from Google Play Store or Apple. And actually we have the user app that um, is available, but I'm reviewing it right now, so it should be available to the public. So right now, yeah, like right now we all go on the website. Um, It's visitbeaches.org, but but sooner or later, yeah, there will be an app for this. Right. Which which I like because if I were at the beach, you know, I wouldn't want to be having to like Google beach conditions reporting. Right, right. And you, you were telling me about the... You're working on an even more, more I think, interesting app where people could help report what's yes. going on with red tide effects. Right. So um, in response to the beach industry reporting system, I've received numerous emails. I mean, I was getting like 50 a day and it was increasing. It was, it was insane the amount of people that were helping us mm-hmm. by notifying us of, of red tide effects. Um, and numerous locations so it just makes sense and then on top of it with um, our lifeguards you know they have their main job of keeping people safe Um, this would be a good supplement to have anybody anywhere on the beach be geolocated um, to the report that they are making right then any kind of effects they're making so it would be automatically uploaded to a map which is a separate layer of the BCRS but how do you prevent uh, yahoos like myself from uh corrupting your data with false information (laughs) you know that's the question that we get a lot and um the way that we're going to do that is we'll be able to verify or um or dismiss a report so for example if 10 people write in something and one person exactly the opposite you can click yeah you can click thumbs up see that's why you're a scientist Mm. well i use the app ways which really gave me a lot of insight to Uh, validation uh, right okay very cool. Yeah. Um, and I should say that the effects that people could be reporting, maybe, if they were around a red tide, a big one would be, do you see dead fish on shore? And right. Another big one is, are you experiencing coughing or other kinds of respiratory irritation from the toxins in the air? Exactly. Right. 
Yes. You know all about irritations. I know about all of, all about irritating things, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so, and some of those things are my colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I love you. Oh yeah, there's all the love everywhere. There's yeah. love everywhere. <laughs> and also, uh, also toxins. No. And toxins. <laughs> yep, and toxins. Yeah. It's actually been, uh, though it has been um, relatively quiet at the time we're making this in terms of the red tide out there, right? It's, it's a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. Last week, Pinellas County got hit oh, big time. Did? Okay. Yes. And uh, mostly at um, St. Pete Beach in the location of Madeira, Madeira Reddington Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, they got it in Treasure Island. Yeah. Uh, the amount of emails that I got in there and the pictures that, that I was sent were crazy. The, okay, so the people that write in, do a lot of them write in because they have asthma or other things where re- they're sensitive to the Some of them, yeah. yeah. But a lot of people that do that, uh, that write that already have issues right before they go. Oh, okay. Um, they want to know if they're going to... Right, or it. family members are well, saying, yeah, hey, I'm experiencing asthma. red tide, my mom has lung cancer, yeah. what mm-hmm. do I do? Yeah. And and unfortunately, there's not much, I mean, you can, you're, if you have an inhaler, an inhaler will help. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're actually proposing a study to look at the human lung and see how um, long-term and short-term impacts, like how the toxin actually works on the lung. Um, because we, we just know the symptoms, but we don't know right. at the molecular level what happens. Exactly. Oh. Okay. Exactly. Um, oh. Yeah, so that'll be really interesting. And then from that study, we're going to look at the neurological effects. Um, but yeah. that's for future. Because it's a neuro. Sounds like, yeah. It's so, a neurotoxin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, totally a neurotoxin. So it sounds like you got some interesting stuff coming up. Right, and there's some, uh, there's some very interesting um, hypotheses from the neurosurgeons that, I, that I'm working with on hmm. what kind of effects it might have. So we have a little bit of red tide popping up again, or yeah. So um, the effects in St. Pete have alleviated because the wind direction has changed. However, we're Did not getting any. Way? We're not getting any reports yet, but we have seen like zero concentrations of Carinia brevis in Sarasota County for weeks now, until yesterday. Uh-oh. All of a sudden, we're back up to very uh-huh. low and low counts at all sixteen stations. Our research shows that blooms initiate offshore on the on the ocean bottom which is far from the um, location where all of the nitrogen and phosphorus coming in from onshore um, where it's degraded mm. yeah it's, it's always been from talking to scientists on this it's always been my understanding that all we know so far is they start offshore they can use a lot of different nutrients so if they get moved inshore then some then of those get, coastal right. nutrients, like both the natural and the human-made ones, can get available to them, but that right. it's not what's determining whether they start necessarily. Exactly. So they, they do need nutrients. Um, however, there are other species that are nitrogen-fixing, so they actually take nutrients from the atmosphere, and upon their death, that falls to the bottom and it's a it's a nutrient source and they they live out they're offshore this is like that trichodesmia algae yes that's Ooh, that's yeah. exactly the that's, nitrogen fixing sometimes if you lived along this coast long enough you might have heard of that one it's not harmful to us but it lives out there and it could be part of the the formula of right. blooms still don't know it can be. everything but it could be yeah it could mm-hmm. be. yeah and uh 
if we had more funding to do more yeah. more sampling, honestly, I think that we would have that answer. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, funds are limited. So, you know what would make me happy? What would make you happy, Haley? Is clearing up some misconceptions about environmental health. Well, let's try and make you happy. Thank you. What kind of misconceptions? <laughs> Actually, I think that Tracy would know better than me. What Can you help us? Is there anything that is common... Um, wisdom that actually isn't wisdom that you can help us debunk about environmental health. Yeah, there are a million things to the point where I don't even know where to start. But we can start with bottled versus tap water. Ooh. Yeah. Bottled water is better, right? Because it's healthier, cleaner, better. It's, you know, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but um, just to make it quick, quick synopsis of how wrong that is. Um, Water, it, it all comes from pretty much the same place. If you follow natural spring water, Zephyr Hills, and see how close it is to the, to the, it's taking water from the same Florida aquifer that we're getting water for our tap water. It's, it's insane to see how clo in close proximity those two sources are to the point where they're, they have crossover. I mean, it's all the same water. I mean, the, the water that you drink this morning might have been water that George Washington drank back in the day. There's a finite amount of water. It's neither created nor destroyed. So that doesn't that doesn't sound good. Right, right. At first you're like, that's cool, and then you're like, I'm drinking someone's pee, and that's the truth. And in fact, but it's true. Yeah, there's right, no new the water truth. being made. It's all what what is here is here. You, you sound exactly. like you're at, you sound like you're at peace with that already. Well, I am. Yeah, okay. I mean, which is good because that's that's a big public perception issue okay. with um, water treatment plants that go from wastewater to drinking water in the same plant. Mm -hmm. um, people don't like it, but it's what happens anyway. Mm. The, um, the astronauts on the space station drink their own urine. Right. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's filtered and separated and... Yeah. <laughs> so in studies that they've done, they found that bottled water it was equal with tap water chemically or even worse at times um, because they don't have the same regulations that tap water does. So you're drinking a less regulated product that not only comes from the same source but then has to be bottled by plastic which uses oil to make and then the transportation costs uh, the impacts to the environment with the transportation um, and then you have the waste and you know that I don't want to delve too deep into it, but but the amount of plastic waste that ends up in the ocean is mm. extreme. And then it breaks down into microplastics, and it eventually comes back to us. Everything is connected. Mm -hmm. So what we put out there, we get back. Huh. And that's, that's the whole premise of environmental health. Hmm. Well, do you feel better now? Sort of. I'm, but now I'm thinking about drinking George Washington's pee. <laughs> <laughs> So okay. I don't know if I feel better. Yeah. Well, I feel wiser. Well, I think we should at least thank Tracy for attempting to make you feel better. She did. Yeah. And she valiant efforts. For joining us here today. Yes, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much for explaining thank environmental you for health. Me. Yeah, right? no problem, yeah. Environmental I love health. environmental health. <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. Mm, and we look forward to uh, keeping the science coming with a, a new episode of 2C fans at Moat in a couple weeks.